Before we start this week's podcast, I just want to give a brief disclaimer. I am aware that there's a few issues with background noise when I interview this week's guest. It has no bearing on the quality of the podcast and you can still hear everything just fine. I just wanted you, the audience, to be aware that I'm aware of the slight issues. I didn't just not listen back and send it out without thinking. All of that being said, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. It really is a cracker. Hello Ministry of History fans and welcome to another podcast episode on historical scandal and welcome more specifically to another guest episode. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing an author, the creator of the Crime Scribe website and the writer of an excellent piece on the Rosenbergs in the Inside History magazine. It's Robert Walsh. Robert will be joining me to discuss, you guessed it, his recent piece for the Inside History magazine on the Rosenbergs and the scandal they caused in mid-20th century America. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were seemingly an average couple, but they were implicated in an espionage controversy and convicted of selling classified US secrets to the Soviet Union. We'll discuss the context of fear and paranoia about communism in post-war America. We'll discuss the international attention that the case generated and the legacy of the scandal. Before we get on to all of that though, I need to ask you again to leave a review. I apologise if this is getting repetitive, but I need to keep asking. It's really one of the best ways to get the pod to grow. If you have a spare moment, just click that five star review button. And if you don't want to leave a good review, then forget everything I just said. I might also be a bit cheeky again and point you towards my donation page on the Buy Me A Coffee website. Please donate whatever you can so I can pay for the costs, equipment costs and overheads and all the other costs that I need to pay to keep this blog and podcast going. Follow the Buy Me A Coffee link in the description of this podcast and donate whatever you feel like. I really would appreciate anything you can give. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to read a little further about some of the stories I've told over the course of series one and two, or indeed any other stories from history, then don't forget to check out the blog. It's the Ministry of History on Google, and it's actually the top result these days. Finally, don't forget to follow me on Twitter. It's at Ministry History, all one word with no of in the middle. You'll be the first to know about new blogs, new podcasts, and all the rest of it. But if you don't have Twitter, then that's a good thing. Stay off Twitter. There's horrible people on Twitter, nasty people on Twitter. Just make sure you keep updated by checking my blog regularly. In the meantime, though, here's Robert Walsh discussing the Rosenbergs. 
Good evening, Robert. How are you? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. You're, you are the, uh, the third guest on the Ministry of History podcast, and you're coming on in Series 2, which is all about historical okay. scandal. Um, and you're here to discuss Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, uh, the husband and wife who were dramatically convicted of passing American secrets to the Soviets. Um, now, you wrote a great article for it, uh, about it, sorry, uh, for the Inside History magazine. So uh, tell yes, me, has this always been a story that's fascinated you? It's, it's a very interesting story. It's a tale of, uh, of dark deeds in high places. The Rosenbergs, to a lot of people nowadays, they were not condemned to die for what they did. They were condemned to die because the authorities wanted Julius to talk. They wanted him to name names and tell them what he'd already passed on and basically give them every piece of information he could on his life as a Russian spy. Only he didn't. He refused. Uh, I, I see. So the, the death sentence was passed uh, not because they thought they were going to carry it out, but as a, uh, as a threat. <laughs> Well, they were quite open about it. They, no, Julius and Ethel were waiting to die. They still had people at the prison who were told, who had told him, if you talk, we can stop this immediately, right up until the last minute, because they didn't want them to die. They wanted them to talk, and having them condemned to death was a, basically a way to threaten them. I see. And to make them cooperate. I see. Uh, which they refused to do. I, I, okay, that's interesting. I'm sure quite, there's quite a lot in the audience, uh, quite a lot of people, sorry, in the audience who wouldn't have known that. Um, is that part of it something that's interested you then? Yes, well, I deal with crime a lot. And the threat of significant prison sentences or execution is not unusual. If somebody insists on staying silent, they don't want to make a deal, then it can be very persuasive to say to them, you can talk or die. Choose. Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm sure, uh, I mean, I'm not sure I'd hold my nerve in, the, in that situation. Um, I'm not sure I would no. either. Um, okay, well, that's towards the end of the story, but I guess we'll start at the beginning. Um, Okay. Uh, could you just give us sort of a brief biography of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg? Am I, am I right in thinking they're both American-born? Yes, they were. They were both native. They were both natives of the United States. They were both born there. They met in New York at a meeting of the Young Communist League in 1933. So they were both committed communists, and their natural political affiliation saw them. Uh, saw them meet up, they got married, they had children, and then Julius was recruited to spy for the Soviet Union. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll, we'll get on to that um, in just a second, but uh, so they get married in 1939, um, which is the yes. same year the same year the Second World War breaks out, obviously, but not for uh, the US. The US don't join no. until 41. Um, so Julius... He signs up for the army in '41, but he's not in a combat yes, role. Yes, he did. Um, no, so... he was a he was a signals expert. He worked at an experimental technical lab called Fort Monmouth, where he had access to missile technology, radar, communications, 
all very valuable information. He was there from 1941 to 1945. When he was discharged, they found that he lied about being a member of the Communist Party, of which he and, Bo and Ethel had both joined. So when they found out that he'd lied, he was thrown out. Of course, by then, he was already active. He had been recruited in, I think it was 1942. So he had spent the previous three years already passing useful information. And it came about that his brother-in-law, David Greenglass, had been assigned to the Manhattan Project. So he was instructed to recruit his brother-in-law. Ethel knew that Julius was spying, and she kept quiet about it. And recruiting Greenglass was their downfall, because he was the man who betrayed them both. I see. Um, so Greenglass is... So Ethel's maiden name is Ethel Greenglass. Um, yes, David was her brother. Yes. And Julius's brother-in-law. I s yes. Um, so and eventually, like you say, he will be the reason they're, they're caught. Um, but sort of at the start, um, how are how are they recruited? Sorry. And um, the first, the other question is, is Ethel more involved than just being aware of it, or is she? Does she have more to do with it than that? That was always very strongly debated. It is now. Uh, these classified Russian documents never list her as having a code name, although Julius had several. The general consensus now is that she knew what he was doing and she kept quiet, but that she never had any meaningful role in the espionage itself. But when they wanted to make Julius talk, adding his wife to a capital charge would have been a very powerful incentive. Wow, so it's Which, it's guilt by association and accessory and all of that, but it's also yes. it's also you know to hang it hang it round Julius's neck and make him talk. Well, it basically says to him, if you don't care enough about yourself, maybe you care about your wife and his children. Because we can always execute her too. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, again, I'm sure there's many in the audience who didn't know that. And uh, so, I mean, it's really interesting that you're sort of bringing that ver uh, side of it to light. Um, but again, before we get on to their, their uh, trial and conviction, um, you mentioned that Julius is dismissed from the army in uh, 1945 yes. after his communist sympathies come to light. Um, but it's, it's not for another couple of years that he's actually implicated in this scandal. Um so no. just before we get on to that though i'd like you to just set the scene for me in post-war america um so you say in your article for the inside history magazine that there's endemic paranoia in america and you mention uh, joe mccarthy um so what is that paranoia all about there was a great fear that the soviet union had intended world domination stalin was still in charge up until 1953 of course. when he died and it was generally believed that the Soviet Union was the evil empire intent on bringing the Western way of life to an end by any means necessary. They would use espionage, there was a constant threat of war, there were multiple diplomatic and occasional military confrontations, the Korean War, for instance. 
both the Russians and the Chinese took a very great interest in helping North Korea, while the Americans and the British backed the South. Part of the, the fear came from people like McCarthy, who was a fanatical anti-leftist. He was eventually censured by the, uh, by the US Senate because he took it so far. He held a series of tribunals, the witch hunts, which sought to drive people out of public life and publicly identify them as communists, even when they had ideas and beliefs that perhaps would seem fairly moderate now. Any sign of a left-wing influence was, was a, a red rag to McCarthy and his followers, and they tapped into people's fears to gain support, but they also fed those fears by constantly finding communists and suspected spies and the Reds under the bed. They constantly beat the drum that there was an enemy within. And the Rosenbergs, being American-born and working for the Soviet Union, they fit the bill perfectly. Well, yeah, of course. Um, it's, it's funny, I actually I know about McCarthy because I had an old school teacher, who uh, a history teacher, in fact, who... Uh, when you misbehaved, he made you uh, uh, write out an essay on McCarthyism. Uh, so uh, I won't say how much I misbehaved, but I, d I do remember quite a lot of that essay. Um, yeah, he was. He was quite an unsavoury nice character. Guy. Yeah, he was a, a very unsavoury yeah, man. Yeah, 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 and and a drunk as well. So I believe he was yeah. a heavy drinker. Yes. Um, he was a very, very heavy, serious alcoholic. Yeah, uh, so I believe, um, and a friend of the Kennedys. He was friendly with the Kennedys, yes. Um, he was certainly very highly placed within the Senate and within American political life. And of course, once he built this profile as the arch red baiter, yeah. it, until he reached the tipping point, he became yeah, yeah. a very powerful man outside of politics. Yeah, I mean, I mean and especially in politics, there was almost mm. no better way, no surer way to secure influence than uh, by you know, basic red baiting. Um, so, oh, yeah. so, so that's the scene in post-war America. It's a huge paranoia about communism. He's a communist. She's a communist. They're all communists. You know. Um, so, how and when are the Rosenbergs implicated uh, in passing secrets to the Soviets? When you say that it started in 1942, but when is it? When are they uncovered? They were uncovered in 1950. In January 1950, the British found Klaus Fuchs, a physicist. He'd worked on the Manhattan Project. He was also a secret communist, and he was arrested for breaching the Official Secrets Act. And through him, they uncovered Harry Gold and Greenglass, who worked with the Rosenbergs, and the Rosenbergs were arrested in the summer of 1950. It was less than a year after the Russians exploded their first bomb. And they exploded their first bomb probably a good five years earlier than anybody expected. So, as the ring was uncovered, Cold War paranoia being at its height in the 50s, and then suddenly the Russians have the bomb five or six years before anybody thinks they even could. So it was not a good time to be caught committing acts of espionage. 
especially not as it was a capital offence to do that. No, uh, so, uh, yeah, so like you say, the, the context is that there's even more fear and even more paranoia um, about yes. the, uh, the Soviets. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've gone into great depth about this, but how exactly does it come to light? Um, you, you mentioned David Greenglass before. Uh, what, is, what exactly mm. is it that he does? Well, Greenglass was a machinist. He was an, actually a technical sergeant in the U.S. Army. He worked on the Manhattan Project providing basic sort of equipment, producing various tools, little pieces of hardware. He was supplying the information to Harry Gold, who was identified by Fuchs, and, and he, was, he admitted at his trial when he testified against his wife against his sister and his brother-in-law, he said he did two things that condemned them both. One was that he'd supplied a drawing of the bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki. The other was that he testified that Ethel had taken an active role by typing up the information to be delivered to Moscow. He went on oath, saying she was not just a passive observer, she took an active role in assisting Julius and that was the critical piece of evidence that condemned both of them Julius would very likely have been convicted anyway but with them both convicted that put greater pressure on him to talk because the death sentence wasn't a uh, it was no longer a prospect it was no longer we will ask for the death penalty it was yeah now you've been condemned i I see yeah um so that trial is march of 1951 it begins am i right yes it was Um, it began in march 1951 it ended at the end of march and they were convicted on march 29th 1951 and condemned to die on april 5th Okay, um, has it achieved international notoriety by this point? It's obviously a huge affair Absolutely. in America, but is you know is there global interest at this point? Yes, there is. There was the British angle that they were uh, they were caught in part through the confession of Klaus Fuchs, but the Communist Party worldwide sought to uh, rebrand them in a very cynical way. Now that they were no longer useful as spies, they were more used to the communists dead than alive. As martyrs, yeah. They were martyrs. Mm. And of course, if Julius was dead, he couldn't trade information or inform on anybody. Yep. So, it was a, they were able through their worldwide network to encourage great condemnation and fury, not just outside the United States, but to a sizable group of people within it. I see, yeah, um, that sort of leads into my sort of next question. Uh, I mean, Julius himself acknowledges that once he's found guilty, then the death sentence must follow. Um, yes, but uh, that doesn't did. stop himself and Ethel fighting tooth and nail and appealing against their uh, mm. convictions. Um, so do they have a case? And what... Um, how much support do they have both within and outside uh, America? Well, the support within America was considerable, especially in that time and place. This was a time when people would be fired for having 
communist sympathies, people were being driven out of jobs. They were attacked on street corners for that kind of, for holding those kind of beliefs. But the Communist Party and various other groups did take a very active interest in the publicity value. Anything that sowed dissension within America's borders and made America look bad elsewhere was something they were interested in. So it became a worldwide thing. Philosophers complained. They spoke out against it. The Pope asked for clemency. And the Pope was never, at the time, was not a particularly left-wing person. He felt it was an injustice Mm. that they'd been condemned to die. And, of course, there was this whole backstory at the time that people didn't know about, which was the death penalty was effectively being used as a form of interrogation. Either you talk or you die. Sorry, did you say that was gone. that angle was that part of it was well known at the time? It was well known in official circles. Uh-huh. It wasn't so well known outside because and the powers that be didn't want to be seen doing anything quite so cynical. Mm. That didn't stop them doing it. They just didn't want to admit to it. So it wasn't necessarily something that drove that public anger. No, the public anger was driven in part by agitation, but also by a lot of people feeling it was simply unjust. Effectively, they wanted to execute Ethel for typing up some bits of paper. Mm. So, in answer answer to the question of uh, do they have a case, I mean, you'd say Ethel certainly has a strong case to uh, um, appeal against her conviction and sentence. Yes, she did. Julius was, he was absolutely guilty. Okay. He knew what he was doing. So there's no doubt, bang to rights. Oh, bang to rights, yes. Absolutely, he was guilty. But But Ethel is more, I mean, not even a grey area. From what you're telling me, it sounds like she was incredibly uh, harshly treated. Well, yeah. I mean, she defended, I mean, she protected her husband. Right. Which, you know, and spouses tend to do that. I mean, and she did so by keeping silent. The problem that came out, it was decades later, Mm. was the evidence of David Greenglass, her own brother, who said she had typed up these sheets of notepaper to be given to the Russians and then recounted practically everything he testified to. So was there a reason that he... um do you, do you think perhaps there was pressure on him? Maybe he wanted a lighter sentence? Because what? Actually, that touches that was, on something else I was going to ask. What happens to mm-hmm. people like Greenglass and Harry? He Garth? eventually drew fifteen years. Fifteen years, right? And do you think fifteen years for his testimony? Yeah. He came out long after the trial and the executions. In addition to admitting he lied, he was quite candid about it. He had to choose. Mm. He chose between his wife and his sister and a brother-in-law, Julius, that he didn't particularly like anyone. Okay. He, he didn't get along terribly well with him. Their relationship was quite rocky, and he knew that if it, that either he and his wife, Ruth, could go on trial or they could testify. Yeah, so it so wasn't actually that much of a difficult decision for him. Um, so. No. But ultimately, the appeal by Julius and Ethel is to no avail. Um, 
When does the end come for them? The end comes for them on June 19th, 1953. So about That's two years when... after the conviction. Yes. And even at that late date, there are still people, there are still agents and officials at the prison who have been told if they want to talk, we can stop this right up to the last minute. And they know that. And Ethel and Julius are still protesting their innocence. They're so far gone into saying they didn't do anything that to recant now would literally be suicide. Yeah. And Ethel still believes that there's going to be mercy right up until the end. She thought they would at least reprieve her. Of course, they didn't. No. The US Supreme Court turned them down and President Eisenhower denied clemency. And there was, I think, part of the reason that Ethel believed it was because she wanted to. Yeah. I see. It was her way of, of coping with having been sentenced to death, essentially for something that she had very little to do with. But the fact remains, they were sentenced on April 5th, 1951. They would have got sitting immediately within the next couple of days. Hmm. In the time they were around and were executed, one of them was only a week after they arrived. Yeah. And yet she still persisted in believing this isn't going to happen. Well, it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was always going to, and yeah. she just couldn't seem to accept it. I mean, that's, that is quite a, a tragic way of seeing it, and Ethel convincing herself that it's not going to happen. Um, but mm. the end does come. Um, now, why do you think the story still resonates? You know, what? Uh, why do you think that people will have been interested in your Inside History article? I think it's a, a classic case of injustice. It shows a lot of... Uh, it's, it encapsulates America in that particular time and place. It was the late 1940s, the early 1950s. And it shows in some ways how things have changed that we still consider this that new information has come out over the decades previously even the Rosenberg sons changed their minds and admitted that Julius was guilty when secret intelligence files were declassified including Russian ones that proved it mm -hmm. but I think it resonates now partly as a form of injustice but also of two people who, one was devoted to her husband, her husband was devoted to her court, to his cause, and they were prepared right up to the last minute to stick to that. So it resonates... If they had asked one minute beforehand, yeah. they would have lived. And of course they didn't. No, and so it resonates because it's a story not just of injustice but also of human tragedy on the part of uh, Ethel yes. Rosenberg. Um, okay, well, uh, I'm sure the audience... I mean, there was a few snippets of info you gave there that I'm sure m many people in the audience wouldn't have known. Um, would, would you mind telling the audience about your work, your website and your Twitter page? Oh, not at all, no, I haven't. 
listed down here in front of me. <laughs> I mean, I usually I'm usually found on uh, on Twitter on at Scribe Crime. Mm -hmm. When I'm not there, I'm running the website www.crimescribe.com. I have three books out, uh, two books out at the moment, and a third one is out in May. They are Murders, Mysteries, and Misdemeanors in New York, Northern California, and Southern California is out in a few months. So they will be, uh, and that'll be the third book I've written, apart from a uh, apart from a small ebook I did a few years ago. It's on Amazon called Criminal Curiosities. I see. Um, I will put the links to your website and your Twitter page in the description uh, for this uh, podcast. Um, but for now, uh, Robert, thank you very much for coming on and enjoy your no evening. No problem. You too. Thanks. Thank you. That was Robert Walsh discussing the Rosenbergs and the scandal they caused. Join me again next week when I'll be discussing another historical scandal. <laughs>